New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. We at New Dimensions thank you for your support. It is only through a change in human consciousness that the world will be transformed. The personal and the planetary are connected. As we expand our awareness of mind, body, psyche, and spirit, and bring that awareness actively into the world, so also will the world be changed. This is our quest as we explore new dimensions. Throughout history, cannabis, also known as marijuana, has been used across the planet as medicine to cure many specific ailments. The cannabis plant as medicine is used to treat everything from anxiety to epilepsy and has been rediscovered by modern medicine after decades of being demonized in the war on drugs. In 1996, California broke new ground by making medical cannabis legal for patients with AIDS, cancer, and other serious painful diseases. At this time, in 2020, 11 U.S. states have also legalized recreational cannabis for adult use, and 33 states have legalized medical cannabis. So. What is it that we consumers need to know about the benefits and dangers of ingesting cannabis? What research has been done? What is the best dosage? What results can we expect from ingesting cannabis? To help us with these and many other questions is Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. Bonnie Goldstein is a physician, pediatric ER doctor, and cannabis specialist. She is the medical director of Canna Center's Wellness and Education, a Los Angeles-based medical practice that helps patients use cannabis for serious and chronic illnesses. She has successfully treated thousands of adult and pediatric patients with cannabis medicine. She's a board member of the International Association for Cannabis as Medicine and is medical advisor to Weed Maps. Dr. Goldstein was awarded the 2017 Medical Professional of the Year by Americans for Safe Access. She's the author of Cannabis is Medicine, How Medical Cannabis and CBD Are Healing Everything from Anxiety to Chronic Pain. Join us for the next hour as we explore a deeper understanding of the benefits of cannabis for a wide variety of ailments with our guest, Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. I'm speaking with Dr. Goldstein at her home by remote connection. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I'll be your host. Welcome to New Dimensions. Bonnie, welcome. Thank you so much for the invitation. Thank you for for joining us. Uh, I would like to go back maybe to your beginning before you became a doctor, and you write about how your mother had um, epilepsy, but it was hidden 
And uh, I guess it eventually came out, uh, and uh, that really led you to become a doctor. Am I correct in assuming that? Well, so I've always wanted to be a doctor since I was about eight years old, and um, it was more related to, I think I was uh, interested in, you know, saving things around me, animals, people, and helping them. But then as I grew up, I always knew that my mother took medicine, but I never knew what for. She would not discuss it. It was, um, you know, something I think that she was ashamed of. I think, you know, back in those days, um, there was a lot of stigma around seizures and epilepsy. And so um, I didn't know until, uh, you know, late teenage years, my my mother finally told me, why she always took these medicines, why she didn't drive for many years. And that just made me even more interested in being a physician who could help people. Here's my mother, who I had no idea was struggling with a serious medical condition and taking medications that caused serious side effects for her. I even saw her go through some of the real trauma related to some of her side effects, and she Nobody ever told us what it was. It was, oh, mom needs to have this surgery. Oh, mom has this problem. But nobody ever told us why. I, I guess, you know, it's nice. They tried to protect us, uh, my sisters and myself. But um, it really was something that after I started working in the cannabis industry, I realized here was something that might have helped my mother have a better quality of life. And she was denied access. Right, and uh, that that it it has been proven, I believe, that um, one of the benefits of cannabis, medical cannabis, would be for epilepsy, especially maybe epilepsy with uh, pediatric, uh, you know, children. Is that is that correct? That's correct. So, back in around, I would say about uh, 2012, 2013, a family in Colorado. Uh, had a child who was doing very poorly, had a genetic form of severe epilepsy, talking 1,200 seizures a month or more, and nothing was helping. And that child was sent home um, with oxygen and medication, but really, you know, this child would go into having seizures and would just have seizure after seizure or a very long continuous seizure. And the mother had heard somewhere that maybe there was a form of cannabis that could help. And she somehow connected with some cannabis growers. Um, And remember, this is Colorado where they have medical cannabis starting back in the year 2000. And um, she reached out to them or somehow they heard of each other and connected. And she managed to get a hold of some cannabis that was what we call high in CBD, cannabidiol and low in THC. And they jokingly called it hippie's disappointment, meaning if you smoked it, you would not get high because it didn't have a lot of THC. It was mostly CBD. And in fact, I often tell my patients that, you know, we don't, we didn't have a lot of CBD plants around because remember with the prohibition of growing cannabis, most people don't grow it. But those people who did grow it, if they smoked it, and they didn't get high from it, they got rid of, they didn't propagate that one. They thought it was a dud. And it turns out it's not a dud. It's high in CBD, which is highly medicinal. So is THC medicinal, but highly medicinal. But yet if you were looking to get high, you 
didn't connect that that's what was going on. So anyway, they managed to get a hold of some high CBD cannabis and someone turned it into an oil and they gave the oil to their child, you know, squirted in her mouth. And all of a sudden her seizures started to decrease significantly, like over 90% at one point. And of course it wasn't overnight. It was as they gave it, as they titrated up the dose, as they, you know, figured out what they were doing. And of course, all without medical supervision, because there wasn't anybody at the time, which not that long ago, right? We're talking about seven, eight years ago. Um, Nobody was really treating children with cannabis. I had been a cannabis doctor for already four or five years. And um, apart from uh, one child that had uh, terminal cancer, I hadn't really treated any children. And after this story about this little girl's dramatic improvement in quality of life was aired on uh, CNN with Dr. Sanjay Gupta. And if you remember him, he came out and said, this is why I changed my mind about cannabis. He was really anti-cannabis. Oh, it's not medical. It's a hoax, so on and so forth. And then he was introduced to this child. I mean, it was really endearing. You see him sitting there with her and she's coloring and she's, you know, talking with him. It was really very, um, uh, very impactful, very meaningful. And after that, boy, I was inundated with phone calls uh, to treat children. And I will share with you subsequently, Justine, that since that time, uh, there's now a pharmaceutical grade CBD that is available for certain s- severe epilepsies. Um, and almost every state in the United States, plus many other countries, have passed CBD laws to allow children with epilepsy to have access. And I I always say it's a start. It could be better. Yeah. Right. Does that uh, particular pharmaceutical grade for epilepsy need a prescription? It, It does. It does need a prescription. It's currently only approved for uh, three of the kind of most severe pediatric epilepsies. However, some doctors are prescribing it off-label, especially for those children who have tried so many different uh, medications. You know, it's interesting with seizures uh, in children in that after the first or second drug, Um, it's very rare for the third, fourth, fifth drug, like something like under 5% of patients respond if they don't respond to the first two. And I've got children that come in sometimes, they've tried eight medications, they've tried 10. And you have to remember that this is over time during crucial developmental periods of their life. And we know that seizures are damaging to the brain, of course. And medications carry a high um, side effect profile. And as far as I'm concerned, um, CBD, high CBD, low THC cannabis should be considered early on when a child is showing um, either uh, significant seizure disorder or even just non-responsive to the initial first couple of medications. I I know that you mentioned that what you learned in medical school, um, that cannabis was considered a gateway drug and could be abused with no medicinal value and even potentially could cause psychosis. So that was when you were going through medical school, that was what was being taught. So you did a major turnaround. Well, that's absolutely. It's 
And I will share with you that I was a little skeptical in the beginning, but what really um, kind of got me started in this in terms of kind of changing the trajectory of my career from being a pediatric emergency medicine doctor and turning into a medical cannabis physician was um, a um, friend who was sick and she asked me about it and I didn't know anything. I mean... I knew nothing. I knew what I was taught. Cannabis is a drug of abuse. Cannabis. Now look, you know, you see it in college and people smoke pot and they still did okay. And then, you know, there are people in our culture who use a lot of cannabis and they're very successful, but it's kind of that doctor attitude that gets reinforced when you go to medical school and then you go to your residency that this is, you know, a drug that is a, um, a drug of abuse. And um, there really isn't any, there's not enough research and science. And look, when I say that, I will share with you that there needs to be a huge amount of research in the areas of um, how humans respond. Okay. We do not have a lot of human clinical trials. And remember that cannabis is still a schedule one drug under the federal controlled substance act. And as that designation, it is not allowed to be studied. That's a, that's a salient point right there. Um, I want to remind our listeners that I'm here with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, and she's the author of Cannabis is Medicine, How Medical Cannabis and CBD Are Healing Everything from Anxiety to Chronic Pain. And if you want to know more about her, you can go to her website, Bonnie Goldstein, md.com. And she spells Bonnie, B-O-N-N-I, Bonnie Goldstein, md.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, newdimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. here with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, and she's a physician, and she specializes in cannabis medicine. And we'd, um, I'd like to go into, you mentioned briefly the two things, THC and CBD. And these are, are, most doctors or many, many doctors don't realize that cannabis actually has different compounds in, you know, to just say, okay, put them all into one box is not really appropriate. So can you say something about those two uh, elements of compounds uh, in cannabis? Sure. So 
The cannabis plant makes over 500 different compounds. So by definition, if you're taking something that was made from the plant, you're taking a lot of compounds at once. So you want to understand what the main compounds are. And my analogy is kind of like using a bowl of chili. There's a lot of ingredients in a bowl of chili, right? But if I call it meat meat and beans chili, there's two main compounds. If I called it just bean chili vegetarian, right? We're talking about one, maybe no beans and just meat, one or the other. So you kind of have to remember that the plant can grow high in THC. That's the majority of the plant's that are out in the world um, because remember that people were pursuing THC uh, for a long time before we knew about the medicinal properties of CBD. Um, THC is the compound that binds to what we call the cannabinoid receptor, which humans have in their brain and all over their body. And when it binds to that receptor directly, binds to that receptor, it causes a change in the cell's message. So if the cell is sending a message of pain, by THC binding to that receptor, it can dial back that message of pain. CBD, on the other hand, does not directly bind to the cannabinoid receptors. It has a multitude of other places in the brain and body where it works. So it does help within the same system that the THC interacts with, which is what we call the endocannabinoid system, but it also works outside the endocannabinoid system. At, at a, We know at least 65 other mechanisms of action. So when you're taking these compounds, it's very hard to predict how any one particular individual is going to work. So a lot of people will ask me, will CBD do X for me? Well, there's the potential there, but again, the unknown is your reaction, your response. You have, everybody has a unique response to these compounds. We all know that there's some people who love THC. They think it's the best thing ever. And then other people say, oh no, I can't take that. It makes me feel weird. And then everybody in the middle. So we have to remember that humans respond individually to things that we take into our body, even food, right? Other medications, same thing with these cannabinoids. But it's important to realize that both THC and CBD, there isn't a good cannabinoid and a bad cannabinoid. They're both good cannabinoids when used properly for for medicinal purposes. There's a lot of overlap. Both of them can decrease anxiety, but they do it through different mechanisms. So a good analogy for that is how there's what 35 different blood pressure pills on the market. They all work through different ways in your body, but what's the ultimate outcome? Lower blood pressure. So it's very similar with CBD and THC. They may use different mechanisms in the brain and body, but they can have very similar outcome, decrease in nausea, decrease pain, relaxation, um, uh, better sleep, right? All kinds of things, uh, medicinal uh, properties. But again, you have to remember they act differently. And one of the most important things I tell people is it's your personal preference. You have to try it. You have to see how you feel on it. And then that's you can create your personalized or customized cannabis regimen. And I talk about that in the book. And I, I'm thinking too that... Um, it's it's not like you can go order a a single 
plant and always, you know, trust that, okay, that's going to always act the same way because different, different growers, it might, you know, is it a hothouse plant? Is it growing, uh, uh, you know, where it's growing? What, what part of the country? I mean, it, it's all sorts of factors. So it's, that's why it's so confusing to, and as you say, one has to experiment. And I and you also mentioned something about um, uh, this field of cannabis doctors. Is that a growing field that we can start to to hire and and be a client of an actual cannabis doctor in our area? Well, let me make a comment about the first part of your question. That cannabis is not the same. So. You know, we all know that they can give cannabis funny names like sour diesel or, you know, lemon haze or something. And there may be a clue as to kind of what's going on inside the chemical composition of that particular plant based on the name. But often, um, even if, let's say, you grow a tomato plant in your backyard and I grow a tomato plant in my backyard, we have different soil, different light, different um, watering, let's say, what humidity, so on and so forth, they're going to be a little bit different. This, These are not factory-made compounds. These are Mother Nature-made, and we have to respect that they are coming from, from nature. Now, that being said, there are many companies that have produced um, or growing plants under the same um, environmental control so that their product is as close to uh, uh, as the same in terms of being, you know, packaged up into a bottle or into a wrapper. And then when you go as a patient to get that, you can be assured that that's going to be very, very, very close to what you got last month. I mean, remember, let's say I'm giving my child a cannabis oil, CBD, let's say high CBD oil for epilepsy. And it works great. I do not want as a parent to go buy the next bottle and have them say, oh, yeah, it's different, but it'll be fine. I, that's not what people are interested in. So we have to have that assurance that there are companies out there that are doing it as close as they can. And there are. Um, and sometimes it's hard if you're a consumer, you you kind of look around and say, how am I sp supposed to know which ones? And that's where you might want to start talking to either a doctor or a nurse practitioner, somebody who's in the field of cannabis medicine. I will tell you that when I started doing this in 2008, I felt like a pariah. I felt like I had to hide what I did. I did not feel comfortable sharing it, even with close friends who supported me my whole life. It was really very uncomfortable. Even my family, I was a little hesitant to tell them what I was doing. But as time has passed, as you know, laws have been passed and more in the media has played a huge role in um, showing the positives in terms of, you know, when cannabis is used like any other medicine responsibly and with direction, um, it can be excellent with very, very low or no side effects. So um there are more doctors now reaching out. I've had a handful prior to COVID. I had a handful of doctors over the past two years that came into my office and sat in to learn about the practice of medical cannabis. Because you can read the articles, you can go to the dispensaries and learn, but in terms of how you practice medicine, 
That's why they make us go through internship and residency because you have to go through it and get follow up and tweak things and adjust things and learn and get that feedback from patients because that's the crucial the crucial information that a physician needs is when I do this or instruct this what is the how does the patient respond and that just comes with time and and um, what, why they call it the practice of medicine because we're right, always learning. Right. Yeah. So there are more cannabis doctors out there. I'm very happy to share that information. They are out there. And there's a beautiful group called the Society of Cannabis Clinicians that I belong to uh, that has a uh, wonderful website. It's called CannabisClinicians.org. And they have, it's a great place for, for people who are listening to go find a, a physician that, in their area. Excellent, excellent. I'm thinking you said something about side effects, and I'm thinking about how um, doctors prescribe a lot of what uh, insight, insights, insights. Yes, mm-hmm. and um, they and you you see advertisements on television about all the the uh, different side effects of these and. And from what I understand in your book, that often uh, cannabis can can be substituted for for insects. Is is that right? Can do you right, do you find true. that's true? Yes, absolutely. So I have many patients who have been able to get off NSAIDs, and if you're not sure what we're talking about, that's non-steroidal anti-inflammatory drugs, uh, which there are some over the counter, like ibuprofen or naproxen, and then there are some that are stronger that are prescribed by physicians. When we think about arthritis or inflammation, this is very, very common. Uh, And we even talk about inflammation being the root of all disease, right? Diabetes and neurodegenerative disorders like dementia. So cannabis is not the panacea, but certainly it is one of what I call the puzzle pieces. If you've got your exercise and you're eating right, uh, here's another plant that you can incorporate into your regimen to decrease inflammation. Now, this is not even up for discussion. It is very well recognized in the uh, medical community that THC, CBD, other cannabinoids, one called cannabigerol, uh, the raw cannabinoids, before you heat up the cannabis plant, we've got cannabis that comes in what we call an acid form, not the kind of acid that can burn you, but it's just the structure of it, the, uh, the chemical structure. Um, one called THCA, one called CBDA. These are the uh, precursor raw compounds to THC and CBD, very highly anti-inflammatory. And I have patients who, and by the way, the only compound that is truly intoxicating from the plant is THC. So if you are not interested in that effect, which some people are and many people aren't, you never have to feel intoxicated by using cannabis. That is the great kind of myth buster here. Um, Just because when you hear the word cannabis, you automatically think of a stoner, right? People think of a pothead or something. I, my elderly parents use cannabis daily, they ha- are not intoxicated. They use CBD, they use CBDA, they use THCA, and they incorporate also CBG, cannabigerol. These are all compounds that are available now on the market and can be used to fight inflammation. Almost as if 
taking a vitamin daily, right? Mm -hmm. We take Mm -hmm. uh, turmeric or turmeric, however you want to say it. People take that daily to fight inflammation. That comes from a plant as well, right? And it doesn't make you intoxicated. So these are the same compounds in cannabis, very similar, anti-inflammatory. And as we take these, they're not habit-forming and they don't build up in the system. What, what's the downside, let's sure. say? Let's sure. let's talk about the downside in just one moment. I'm here with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, and she is the author of Cannabis is Medicine. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions. I'm here with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. She's the author of Cannabis is Medicine. I want you to mention uh, what are the medical risks of cannabis use? In terms of risk, there's a few people in our population that we just have to be careful with, of course. So there is some evidence that THC in someone who already has underlying um, significant mental illness, that it may provoke um, psychosis. It's very rare to see that. It can happen, but it is really rare. There is um, an, a thought that maybe teenagers who, quote, smoke too much pot might get schizophrenia. And there are numerous studies now. And very Remember, there's studies from years ago, and then there's more recent studies. And so I always tell people it's good to read the old studies, but it's really important to read the recent studies as well. You want to see what we have found as research progresses. And it appears that if um, a young teenager has a parent that has severe mental illness and is using, uh, the, the child is using high amounts of THC on a chronic basis, that there can be an increased risk of schizophrenia developing, meaning they have an underlying genetic predisposition and then the environmental kind of uh, um, uh, load of the THC. And you have to remember that a lot of teenagers who are using uh, THC in large amounts are what I would call self-medicating. They don't feel good. They happen to come across cannabis in their world and it makes them feel better. Now that does not mean that it is not medicine because somebody's decided to self-medicate, but I will share with you that teenagers have no idea how to self-medicate. They they really should have full and total medical supervision. Um, I want to ask you though about teenagers, uh, if you can pause on that one for a moment. If a teenager is using THC, which is a hallucinogen part of of, uh, the plant. I would call it intoxicating. Yeah, Justine. All right. The intoxicating uh, compound of the plant. If their brain is not fully formed yet, uh, does this this produce a a long-term effect to their brain? Well, it appears that rare cases in those who are genetically uh, predisposed. 
because we know that there's lots of lots and lots of teenagers that smoke a lot of cannabis and nothing really happens to them. There is a very recent study that looked at twins and they found that the difference between the twins, one using cannabis and one not, and then kind of testing their um, intellectual ability and their cognition and so on, it appears it's more genetics than it is the exposure to THC. And that's one of the more recent studies, I believe came out last year, which is fascinating because even to find twins and to be able to do that study. So it looks like it's more the genetics that can predispose these patients to that negative. But, you know, I don't want to necessarily focus on this because, again, it is kind it is to me, it's about educating our youth and starting at a young age the same way. You know, don't wait till your teenagers already, you know, kind of um, knee deep in this. You would want to educate them. And, you know, I'm the mom of a 19 year old and we started having conversations about substances that he will be exposed to in his social circle, what we started talking about when he was eight. I didn't wait until he was 12 or 14 or 18 when they're not listening to you anymore. I started when he was much younger. We talked about all kinds of things, alcohol, so on. Look, I did pediatric emergency medicine for about 13, 14 years. And in, I worked, you know, inner city LA in a, uh, a lot of different hospitals. And the biggest thing by far that brings teenagers in when they're intoxicated is alcohol. And so, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I think I saw either, uh, I think maybe one kid who called 911 when he smoked some pot and got paranoid. I just did not, you just don't see it in the ER. So it's really, you know, not that dangerous in terms of acute intoxication, um, but at, in teenagers anyway, but at the same time, you know, we have to be having this education. If this is, I explain to people, this is medicine. And if you're not sick, you shouldn't be taking it. Mm-hmm. And also, uh, is, is there any way that you can overdose on cannabis? So that's a great question because a lot of people ask me that. You cannot overdose fatally. There is no mechanism of action by which THC or any of the other compounds found in the cannabis plant can kill you. The CDC even stopped, quote, counting marijuana deaths because there just aren't any. However, um, you can have a very unpleasant overdose experience if you take too much. And there are all kinds of stories out there. People giggle when they hear this, but you hear about people who get a sense of what we call perceived harm. They think they're dying, but they're not going to die. They're just highly intoxicated. And so they are um, not, let's say, not in their sound mind when they're using high doses of THC. And this is a very important thing to talk about. Anybody who has children in their home, if you're using cannabis, Um, any form of it, it should be locked up so that your children don't get into it. We are seeing an increased number of accidental overdoses in children. The children will not die. They will fall uh, into a heavy, intoxicated sleep. And if you came rushing into an emergency room with a child who's really intoxicated like that, doctors may panic. It's somebody's child and they may be overly aggressive, but the child will not stop breathing. We have not seen that. Um, however, uh, lock up your cannabis if you have children. Same thing with pets. We don't want our animals getting into cannabis. And that's just being a responsible cannabis user. 
I'm just thinking years and years ago, decades ago, um, I was taking Valium and I smoked some cannabis. And I remember uh, laying on the floor and I couldn't get up. It, I just, it's like my muscles just didn't work. So this brings up the idea, what about mixing cannabis with prescription medications? Right. Or alcohol, even. Or so alcohol. We should, yeah. Right. So what we know about, uh, now remember, we're going to talk about cannabis. We're going to talk about specifically THC-rich cannabis. So you just have to be careful with THC-rich. The other forms, right? So the CBD and all these other ones, we don't have to worry because they're not intoxicating. But alcohol plus THC, they can pot- what we call potentiate each other, make their effects stronger. Um, so that I always tell people, please be careful. Look, if you know you can have a glass of wine at dinner and then two hours later, you're going to take your, you know, kind of, um, dose that you found to be helpful and it's not too much, you're going to be fine, but you really don't want to be overdoing both of these things at the same time. Prescription medication is a little tricky with THC in general because in most people do not are not overdosing on THC. They're taking a small dose that helps them with their medical condition. It's not usually an issue. However, CBD is really interesting in that it is metabolized in an area of the liver where about 60 to 70% of all pharmaceuticals are metabolized. And there can be uh, what we call drug-drug interactions. So this is one of the biggest things that I try to tell people. This is why you might want to have a physician um, consultation or somebody uh, medically uh, trained who understands cannabis, like a nurse practitioner or um, uh, something like that, because you you want somebody who's able to look at those drug interactions for you and to tell you whether or not uh, it's safe for you. I, I'll share with you that I take care of a little girl with a brain tumor, and she's been my patient since she's two years old, and she's eight now, and she's doing phenomenally well. This is a brain tumor that likely a number of decades ago was deadly and and killed just about anybody who got it. She has done incredibly well on cannabis, uh, both THC and CBD. And even her mother reports she lives a normal life. She goes to school. She's sassy. She's smart. She's really just one of my favorite little gals that comes to see me. I look forward to seeing her. Well, she was just offered a brand new cancer treatment. Because the tumor, although it has shrunk significantly while on chemo and cannabis, it has never gone away. And a new drug came out. And they offered it to her. And lo and behold, there is a drug interaction between CBD and that drug. And we want to let that... I would love to see this child be cancer-free. And in this particular case, of course, cannabis hasn't done the trick fully. So we took her off the cannabis so that she could take this drug. And her tumor has shrunk over 50% from where it was. This is very promising. Now, she has a lot of side effects um, from that medication. And we're hoping to reintroduce cannabis at some point to help her with that because it's helped her in the past with those side effects. But at the same time, I would never want to block that drug from working for her. Right. Exactly. Right. All right. So we've talked a little bit about the risk. And I I hear you're emphasizing that these days it's important to know 
the difference into if if you're talking to a professional that they know the difference between THC and CBD. There are two different things. It's not just a generic cannabis. It's lots of things that go into it. So um, let's talk about some of the different things that we would be interested in. Like a lot of us are interested in not getting Alzheimer's. <laughs> and so that's one of the things that we would like to say um, is that we're being uh, protected from. Is is there any protection? It Does cannabis offer any protection from Alzheimer's? Well, there's some research. Again, remember, we're prohibited from doing human research, but we do have research in animals that has shown that for uh, certain conditions, so like Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, there is some evidence that uh, the cannabinoids, including THC, CBD, these compounds from cannabis, can be what we call neuroprotective. They protect the neurons from having any damaging effects. Now, of course, we don't know to the extent. When would you need to start cannabis in order to have those neuroprotective effects? How much would you need to take? How, how long would you have to take it for? So we don't know all the answers yet. And what is a combination of, of THC and CBD? And CBD, exactly. Now, I err on the side of these cannabinoids, when used under medical supervision and used properly, have, like I said, little to no side effects. So I see no reason why somebody who might be either predisposed to these uh, terrible conditions or somebody who's already kind of entering into maybe a little bit of cognitive uh, decline or some like mild dementia, there is no reason not to use these. Of course, again, medical supervision is very helpful because you want to take a meaningful dose. The studies for neurodegenerative disorders that have been done in humans, again, it's not looking at the mechanism of action. It's really just looking at, at how these patients um, feel on cannabis. There's one particular study on patients with Parkinson's that show that it can help with Parkinson's psychosis. There's also studies that show that it can help with other quality of life issues like sleep and personal uh, relationships and anxiety. So I'm here with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, and she is the author of Cannabis is Medicine, How Medical Cannabis and CBD Are Healing Everything from Anxiety to Chronic Pain. And I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You're listening to New Dimensions.
I'm here with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein, and she is the author of Cannabis is Medicine. I believe it's important to tell if a product is what's its makeup, and there's something called certificate of analysis. And I think that with um, any sort of licensed cannabis dispensary, they're required to have this available. And is this something that might be use, useful to us to to check out if we're buying any sort of cannabis? Absolutely. When I started working in the cannabis uh, arena back in 2008, it was truly buyer beware when my patients went into a dispensary. They could buy a product, it would work well, and then they would go back to get it and they would buy the same brand and the same, and then it was completely different because the people making that product may have switched what they were using in terms of the plant material. So they went from one particular chemovar strain into another one and patients got a completely opposite effect. They said, how come I can't rely on this? There was, at the time, there was really no consumer protection. Now we have, uh, in most and most states have, some way of measuring uh, what's in a product, and the states have uh, certain standards. Remember, we don't want anybody getting sick with pesticides or solvents that are that are sometimes used in these products. Um, and so that certificate of analysis has multiple aspects to it. And as I discuss in the book, you know, you can see the cannabinoid profile. Is it a high THC? Is it a high CBD? Is it a combination of CBD and THC, which many products are now, which allows you to benefit from both of those compounds? Also, are there other cannabinoids in it like THCA or CBG and so on? It also often will give what we call the terpene profile. Terpenes are the essential oils in cannabis. These seem to be synergistic, working with cannabinoids, um, giving certain effects. So for instance, THC in the presence of a terpene, essential oil called myrcene, that combination can actually really work well for um, anti-anxiety and for sleep. If you were to buy some product that had THC without very much myrcene, it might not help with anxiety and sleep. And you say, how come I'm laying down at night and I'm, mm -hmm. my brain's going what happened, right? So sometimes knowing those terpenes is extremely important to understanding the effects of that particular product. And it measures for solvents, it measures for pesticides, it measures for other microbial contaminants like mold. We want to know that the product that you're getting for your medical condition is, is clean. We want clean products, consumer protections. Yeah. Yeah, here we are. I, there, and this reminds me too, uh, Bonnie, um, there are many methods. You don't have to smoke it in order to get the benefits. There are many methods of ingesting cannabis. Um, can you mention some of them? Sure. So smoking is, I think, what people think about because that's culturally what we've been exposed to, right? But uh, the vast majority of my patients don't inhale their medicine. They're using edibles, which means that you're eating it. So it, And it could be uh, something like a cookie or a piece of taffy or a little hard candy or even... Um, a drink like I've seen cannabis lemonade and that kind of thing. And, and again, personal preference. Now you have to remember that when you 
take it through the gut, it does work a little differently than taking it when you inhale. There's also topical cannabis that can be rubbed on. Many people prefer that. Then that way you're not getting it into the brain at all. It's only going where you put it. So if you, let's say you have wrist arthritis and you rub it into your wrist, uh, you can get a nice local response. And that way you're not treating the whole body. You're treating the part that bothers you, which is your wrist. Um, there's also, uh, there are now patches on the market. So you can put a patch on. There are rectal suppositories. And one of the main ways that my patients, because I take care of so many children, take cannabis is what we call a tincture or an extract, which comes in a bottle and you measure it out with a little syringe and you can squirt it in the mouth. I do have some patients that are fed only through a feeding tube or a gastrostomy tube and it can go through that. Uh, what I like about tinctures is that you can accurately measure dosing and customize it. Remember, if an edible comes, let's say, in 10 milligram little candy, you might be able to cut it in half or even into quarters, but you can't really dial in a very low dose. With tincture, you really have a lot of control over your dosing. What is the difference between hemp and cannabis? Oh, that's a big question. Okay. So <laughs> uh <-oh. laughs> that's okay. So we'll talk about kind of like the way to think about the way the government defines it is the government defines hemp as the cannabis plant that it tests lower than 0.3% uh, uh, THC. Okay. So anything or 3% by weight. So if it's 0. 3% by weight THC or under, it is classified as hemp. However, remember that you can grow medical cannabis that low in THC and you can call it hemp so that you can sell it as hemp. But remember that that is not really the definition. What we know about the difference between uh, hemp and cannabis is that the cannabis plant, like for lack of a better term, what we call marijuana, that has a big flower, and the flower is the factory where all the compounds are. And so hemp usually does not have a large flower. It has a small amount of CBD, a small amount of terpenes, and so on. The cannabis flower is a very robust source of all the medicinal compounds. And that is why you know, again, I'm in California, so I lean towards recommending medical cannabis. So how do we know that we're getting medical cannabis rather than hemp? Again, going back to that COA, the COA will tell you what is the in... The certificate of analysis. Exactly. Yes. That will tell you what is in that bottle. And what I recommend to people is if you're going to buy CBD products online. So by definition, if somebody's posting it online, it is likely very low in THC. But until you see that certificate of analysis, you don't know really what's in that. And that market is unregulated. And that is still buyer beware. However, if you are walking into a licensed dispensary in your state, uh, your government is regulating what's in there, and a COA is part of that regulation, and that COA should be uh, available to you. If you cannot get a COA on any product, whether online or in a dispensary, do not buy it. Do not use it. You do not know what's in it. 
Okay, very good, very good. So that's very, very clear. And and if so, it just seems to me from our whole conversation that if you're really looking for medical cannabis, uh, a combination of uh, CBD and THC is probably a best way to go. That would be like type two uh, rather than too much THC or too much just dominant CBD. Is, is that something general? Well, that's a, a general way of, of kind of looking at it. However, what I tell people is you don't know really what you need until you try it and see. So I'll, I'll share with you. There's a, a, a woman I'm taking care of who was adamant that she had a bad experience with THC in the past, which I believe, but she was adamant about using only CBD. And I explained how these two compounds can be synergistic and balance each other and that she may get a little bit better pain relief by combining. But then the question becomes is how much CBD and how much THC? So we started with a ratio that was about 25 to 1, 25 parts CBD to 1 part THC. And she really wasn't getting very much pain relief. So then we tried a product that was 20 parts CBD to 1 part THC. And again, not very much pain relief. With my instructions, we escalated the dose and we got to pretty high doses and she still wasn't feeling better. We ended up going all the way down to a four to one ratio, four part CBD to one part THC. And on a very low dose, she has terrific pain relief. And here is someone who came to me saying, nope, CBD only. But you see um, these kind of... Um, uh, preconceptions don't help. <laughs> you have to be open to it. And you have to remember that until you rule, and in the book, I talk about this method, rule it in or rule it out. You have to try it to see. If you are a person who responds to high CBD, low THC, great. But if it doesn't work for you, that doesn't mean cannabis will not work for you. It just means that particular ratio of that particular product didn't work for you. There are so many options and choices that I understand it can be overwhelming, but that is why one of the reasons I wrote the book was to give people a little bit of a roadmap in kind of ruling it in and ruling it out, where to go. And remember, it's very hard to predict somebody's response, but you have to start somewhere. High CBD, low THC is a good place to start. Slowly introduce that and then go from there. So I just want to, we're coming to the end of our conversation and there's so much more. I just rec recommend people picking up the book. Uh, it's just chock full of information. It's going to be a reference that you'll want in your library. Absolutely. So uh, thank you so much, Dr. Goldstein, for being with us today. Thank you so much, Justine. I've been speaking with Dr. Bonnie Goldstein. She's the author of Cannabis is Medicine. And her website is Bonnie Goldstein, MD. And she spells her first name B-O-N-N-I, BonnieGoldsteinMD.com. Or you can get there through the New Dimensions website, NewDimensions.org. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. I've been speaking with Dr. Goldstein by remote connection from her home. I'm Justine Willis-Toms. You've been listening to New Dimensions. 
This is program number 3713. New Dimensions Radio has been making a difference on our planet since 1973, thanks to the generosity of our listeners. You too can help make a difference with a tax-deductible donation or membership. Please visit our website, newdimensions.org, and just click the Donate button. You can also subscribe to our free weekly podcasts and find over a thousand hours of audio dialogues in our searchable archive. New Dimensions is produced by New Dimensions Radio in Santa Rosa, California, USA. Our executive producer is Justine Willis-Toms. Our post-production editor is Lou Judson. For over four decades, New Dimensions has been producing weekly conversations at the leading edge. We sincerely thank all of you who have supported us by being members of Friends of New Dimensions as well as members of our affiliate stations. My name is Dan Drayson. On behalf of everyone at New Dimensions whose endeavors make this program possible, I'm wishing you well. New Dimensions Radio is an independent producer supported by listener contributions. To find out more about the program you've just heard, to subscribe to our free weekly newsletter and our New Dimensions and New Dimensions Cafe podcasts, and to access thousands of other programs in the New Dimensions archive, please visit our website, newdimensions.org. That's newdimensions.org. Or call us at 707-468-5215. That's 707-468-5215. Please join us next time as we explore New Dimensions.